if you're truly in love with someone, understand who they are, let them understand who you are and work out financial arrangements that are going to work for each of you, regardless of who has more assets or earnings than the other. Does talking about your money make you cringe? Are you tired of fighting about finances? Do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is a wealth psychology expert who is doing what she does best, speaking about taboo topics. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. Over the past decade, she has empowered thousands of people to break money silence at home and at work. Now, here is Kathleen. I am so excited as part of the Talking About Money With Your Honey series to be able to talk about fiscal diversity. Fiscal diversity is when partners have different beliefs, thoughts, money personalities when it comes to managing their finances. So if you are out there listening and you go, oh, that's me, that just means you are a normal human being because most couples have some fiscal diversity. Uh, Today, I've invited a colleague and friend, Sandy Brager. She is the chief client officer and partner at Aspirient, and she is going to talk with me about fiscal diversity. I just also want to mention that she has a great podcast that you need to check out called Money Tales. I happen to have been on it, but that's not why I think it's great. I think it's great because she spends the entire time talking about people's money stories. And as you can imagine, I think that's wonderful. So welcome, Sandy, to the podcast. Kathleen, thank you for such a warm introduction. I am so excited to be here with you today. Thanks for having me on. Yes, we always have good conversations about money, don't we? Yes, my favorite topic. Yes. So when we think about fiscal diversity, which is your term, I really love this term. Why don't you explain to our listeners a little bit about what you mean by that and why that can be either problematic or a good thing? Yeah. So um, fiscal diversity is not a, a term I coined, but I heard it somewhere and liked it as well, Kathleen. So so that's what we use to describe when one partner in a loving relationship has significantly more assets and or more income than the other partner. And if you look at it from that very high level, all couples are fiscally diverse. But in the context of the work we do at Experient with our clients, we're, we're really looking at and seeing situations where there is a significant difference between either the financial assets and or the earnings of the two partners. And that might occur at the beginning of the relationship. It could occur long into the relationship, whether there's a marriage or not. And the fiscal diversity could be generated in all sorts of, of different ways. It could be a result of created wealth or inherited wealth. So there, there's a lot of different forms in which fiscal diversity occurs with couples And uh, again, everyone, almost every couple has some form of fiscal diversity, but when the difference between the financial resources of both partners is significant, that can create a lot of opportunities and also some challenges too. Yes. And and so I don't know whether I misspoke saying that couples typically have 
uh, different money personalities, but certainly if you have a different level of assets or a different background in terms of socioeconomic status, that can lead you to have parts of your money personality or mindset that are different. Do you agree or do you feel like I'm kind of missing? Oh, absolutely. I think you're spot on. So much of our perspectives about money are generated when we're young. That's when we first observe money with the adults who raise us. We have money scripts that come to us. And even given the socioeconomic situation that we're growing up in, all of that impacts who we are in our money personalities. And when that blends with someone else who we care about, who has a different background, different beliefs and perspectives and relationships without, with money, things can get, you know, interesting. Yes, they can. And in fact, in my financial therapy practice, which I've gotten back to in the past couple of years, one of the things that I often work with, with individuals or couples are people who are inheritors when their partners are not. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm going to learn a lot from you today. That's going to ultimately help my clients as well. So we talked about there's challenges and there's opportunities when you have this fiscal diversity in a couplehood. Let's start with the parts that are challenging. Like what makes it hard when your partner has significant assets and you don't, or your partner comes from an inherited wealth and you come from a working class background? So I think one of the things that can happen, especially if there's not a lot of conversation about money up front, is people tend to make assumptions about one another. Uh, I'm going to use an example of a friend of mine, Kathleen, and, and this goes in a little bit of an opposite direction than the 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 situation you just outlined. She is an inheritor of wealth and she shared with me that dating is really hard for her because she's very uncomfortable knowing whether the people she's dating are dating her because of who she is and what all the things, wonderful things that she has to offer, or if they're interested in her because of her money. And she lives in a very nice, exclusive part of town and she will not meet people that she's dating at her home. She'll meet at a a different location. She tries to keep her distance because she doesn't know when she can trust people. So that's something that comes up a lot is trust. When can you trust in the other person that you're with to share some of your feelings about money, whether you have more assets than them or they have more than you? Because when your partner has more assets than you, sometimes we can react in different ways. Uh, I've seen with clients, there is a tendency of people to equate power with money. And so if one partner has more resources, the other partner can sometimes choose to give the partner with more resources, more power in the relationship. And so I think that can be challenging if, if, if the couple is not aware of these dynamics. Well, and it, it reminds me of something that I hadn't thought about in a really long time. I used to do some consulting work at the beginning of uh, the formation of my company. And I had befriended somebody who was an inheritor and she was in her mid-20s. And she talked about the exact same thing of dating, even finding a job, you know, wanting to fit in, but also knowing in certain spheres she didn't fit in and the complexity that comes up when you happen to have more assets than other people. Mm -hmm. Now, 
when do you decide, oh, I'm going to tell somebody I'm dating or in our marriage, we're going to talk about this? I mean, hopefully you do it while dating, but it, not everybody's perfect in this. Yeah. So I think the opportunity here is to have conversations sooner. Um, maybe they're not the very first conversation, but in my experience working with clients and helping them through these situations, it seems like there is a meeting of minds when the couple gets to a spot where they can really focus in on what their values are, what each of them values. And usually if there's values alignment, that paves the way to having these open money conversations and, and it allows for trust to build between the two. And I think also pacing matters a lot. Um, you know, kind of dropping little little lines, uh, little hooks over the boat. <laughs> um, and starting small, you don't have to have all of the money conversations all in one sitting at one time, but but starting slowly. I know an area that can be really challenging for some couples early on in relationships is who pays for what. And there's all different sorts of, 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 of ways to handle that. So it's not like any of, of these solutions come with a one size fits all opportunity. But I think it's up to the couple to decide, like, what are our values? How can we bring those values into our relationship? And how does how do those values play out in the, the money decisions we're making together? So let me, I, I have a question about values. So when you are working with a couple uh, or an individual and you say, you know, it's really important to identify and discuss your values, how do you go about in working with people to do that? Yeah, it's a, it's a great point because I think if you ask someone, what are your values? Very few people would be able to list them off the top of their head. So usually we'll ask questions about, about them. What make, tell us what's most important to you. Where do you find the most joy? Where are you spending the most time? What are the things that you're spending the most time thinking about um, versus doing? Those sorts of questions can open the way to identifying the person's values. And it's, I find easy if we ask clients to share a story, you know, tell us about a time where um, you were really excited about what you were doing. What was I love the story you? example because yeah. that gets people to share lots of things. And if you're listening for values, which I've trained advisors to do, I train my clients to do, um, you can kind of hear the values in there and not necessarily would you not be 100% right, but you can at least guess and just bounce it. Hey, do you value, you know, education? Do you value um, nature, you know, based on the story that they provided? Exactly, exactly. And then when you ask about how they're spending their time, that, that might support some of those values too. So you kind of, you piece it together and you weave and you ask questions along the way, as you just mentioned, Kathleen. Wow, it sounds like you really value nature. Is that, do I have that right? Tell me more. And so the values piece is one thing. Say you're aligned in values as a couple, even though you have significantly different assets or earnings. How do you decide who pays for what? Because that's hard enough, you know, just when you're almost on an even playing field versus when there's this diversity. 
Isn't that true? It is. And there's so much societal pressure and in gender norms that come into play. There, there's so many things. It's a wonder that we get anything done in this world because there's so many different pressures. <laughs> um, but I think when, when the couple, when the, early on, you know, it just be casual conversations of, oh, let's go do this activity. And how would you feel if we both contributed to the cost of that or, I'd like to pay for that. Is that comfortable for you? You know, just asking questions along the way, I, I think can can be very helpful. Almost asking for permission, I think helps. Further along in the relationship, when things are getting to a point where the couple is starting to live a joint lifestyle and sharing more lifestyle costs and housing costs, the conversation gets opened up and can be quite a, a bit bigger. And at that point, I think it is helpful for the couple to have gotten financially naked. Another term I like that I didn't make up. Um, I just had Manisha uh, Takor on our the podcast the other day, and she uh, wrote a book. I don't know if she coined the term about getting financially naked as a couple. So I love that oh, great. term. Yeah, you, you hear it, you kind of understand the vulnerability that, that it, it, it comprises. And so I think, you know, getting to that point of, of being financially naked and, and sharing with your partner your resources and your earnings and learning about theirs, that, that can go a long way because that just kind of opens up the playing field. Here are all the, the different resources. And then getting to the point of understanding, well, what are your plans for your resources? What are my plans for my resources? And how do we think about our resources? Because just because there's fiscal diversity within the relationship, it doesn't mean that the relationship itself is unequal. I think two people who are together in loving relationships want, for the most part, equality. They want to make joint decisions together. And so that's when understanding the landscape of all the different financial resources and the plans and, and setting expectations for those resources can become very helpful and really laying out a plan for how are we going to pay for certain expenses? Am I paying for my expenses? You're paying for yours and we're pooling together money for the joint expenses or do we have some other different plan that's going to carry us through. And as long as both partners are on the same page and are open and are co-developing that plan together, I think they're on their way to success. Yeah, I like that. So I'm going to take a quick break, but when we get back, I want to talk to you a little bit about how you help couples talk through these issues. And also, I know you've mentioned about, you know, setting up guidelines or policies, and I want to get a little bit more tactical as to how somebody could do that, whether they're working with someone like you or whether they're just listening in and say, hey, maybe we should do this. That'd be a fun date night, right? To come up with some policies and procedures. Uh, <laughs> so we'll be back in a minute. Hi, it's Kathleen Burns Kingsbury. I hope you're enjoying this episode of the Breaking Money Silence podcast. I want to take a quick time out to tell you a little bit about financial therapy. Yes, financial therapy. That word keeps showing up in the media more and more, but I've been doing financial therapy for years. And in 2023, I'm going to expand this part of my business. And I wanted you, my podcast listeners, to be the first to know. If you're curious about what is financial therapy, just know that it helps individuals and couples change unhealthy money habits, attitudes that cause them stress, anxiety, and lead them to feel uncomfortable with money. 
If you have trouble making big decisions, if you find that you're shopping too much, carrying too much debt, worrying about money, even though you shouldn't be worrying about money because there's enough in the bank, it may be time to consider financial therapy. The benefits are numerous and individual, but former clients have told me that they have experienced in a very short period of time a decrease in money-related anxiety and stress, they have less conflict about money in their relationships, and they engage in more productive money conversations. The advisors that refer clients to me say, finally, my clients can make the changes in their financial behaviors in order to save for their future. So if this sounds appealing to you and you want to know a little bit more, I have a special offer. I'm offering a free 30-minute consultation to anyone who's interested in learning more about financial therapy. You can email me at kbk at breakingmoneysilence.com or you can go to the show notes, click on the schedule link and set something up via my automatic calendar. If you're listening to this not on my website and you find that I don't want to do that, I would rather just reach out to you directly. Feel free to use my private email at kbk at breakingmoneysilence.com and shoot me an email letting me know you'd like to take advantage of this time-limited offer. So my hope is we'll chat about financial therapy soon. And now it's time to get back to our regular programming. I am talking to Sandy Brager. She is talking about fiscal diversity, and she defines that as when one partner has significantly more financial assets or earns significantly more than the other. We're talking about both the challenges of that in couplehood as well as the opportunities, because sometimes, in my view, that can force you into having a money conversation that maybe you might avoid for years had you had similar fiscal backgrounds. So before the break, we were talking a little bit about getting financially naked and having these conversations about who pays for what, you know, starting from dating and moving into a committed relationship. And what I'm wondering about, Sandy, is, you know, when you talk about, okay, so I'm going to help a client or I'm going to help couples or maybe people listening in can come up with some guidelines around how we're going to spend our money and how we're going to think about it what's mine, yours, and ours. How do you go about doing that? Because it sounds easy, but when you get into it, it's kind of complex. Yeah, it, it, it can get complex. I think starting with an alignment of mindsets is really important, Kathleen. So getting both people in, in the relationship to a place of being curious and open and really searching for possibility helps. It gets rid of some of the fear and discomfort and anxiety that can come up in these conversations. And so we, we try to make it a playful conversation. And one way we do it is we'll have the client's balance sheet in front of us. We'll have already defined and, and determined what are each partner's assets? What are their liabilities? How does that compare? Do they have any joint assets and liabilities to consider? And then we do the same thing on their cash flow projection. So what are the sources of cash? Is it earnings? Is it portfolio income, inheritance, whatever the case may be? What are the uses of cash? And we're looking at those uses by categories. So when we look at the categories of expenses, that allows us to help the couple chunk up some of these decisions. So we're not 
we're not looking at, at designing the whole entire picture. We're looking at, well, what are the housing costs and how, which resources will be used to cover the housing? Oftentimes it, the answer might be influenced by how the home or homes are, are owned. Um, sometimes they're not. Again, there's no rules for any of this. That's why this open aligned mindset can really help because it allows the couple to reach decisions that work for each of them. And if they hit a snag in the conversation, you know, if a topic comes up where um, they're just, you know, they're not reaching alignment on, on how they're going to pay for it, we just push that off to the side and make decisions on everything that, that's easy to get through. And then we come back to that harder stuff and look at it from different directions. And one of the things that we like to do when we're having these conversations is bring those values that we were talking about earlier today into the, into the conversation. Because oftentimes when, when we're clear on the client's values, we can look at these spending decisions and funding decisions from that values lens. Because what I have seen, and again, when people come to me, they often are experiencing some sort of pain or discomfort around money. So it, it may be a different scenario. Um, but I've seen, especially women who have inherited wealth, struggle in their relationships with their partners, whether they're married or in a committed relationship, because of mixed feelings around, you know, I have this money, I want to share my life with this person. It doesn't matter that they don't have the same amount of money. But when it comes to making decisions around, you know, are we going to put an addition onto the house? Or, you know, what type of curtains are we going to have? Or, you know, what type of trips are we going? Um, a lot of times these women think I'm frustrated because I can use my inheritance. I can use my trust money. I can, you know, use my income if it's a female breadwinner. And, you know, my partner is resistant or my partner isn't resistant. And that really frustrates me because it makes me feel taken advantage of. So those aren't easy scenarios. But, you know, that's where that fiscal diversity gets kind of tricky. What advice do you have for women who are like that, whether it's an inheritance or whether it's their earned cash? There is a power differential that happens when you have money. Yeah, there certainly can be. So my recommendation would be first to express those feelings. And, and it can be difficult to express yep. those feelings. But I think if you can push past the sort of natural inclinations that many of us have when, when it's time for a hard conversation and, and ease into those conversations, the more we have conversations about our feelings about money, the easier those conversations become. And it's in those conversations open up the opportunity for us to not only share how we're feeling, but to also understand how our partner's feeling, where they go. Oh, that's the key right there. Right. Yeah. Yep. Else, else if we're not having these conversations, we're making assumptions and oftentimes we're making the wrong assumptions um, based on what I've seen in my personal life and in the lives of working with clients for so many years. But I think also, Kathleen, this is where the idea of, of policies can come into play. And this idea, I think, is really quite interesting. As a financial advisor, it's common for us to put investment policy statements into place for clients. A policy statement just defines and sets out what we're going to do, what we're not going to do. It's that easy. And I think couples, and, and we've used this in some cases quite effectively, couples can 
create their own policies when it comes to spending, um, when it comes to to different decision making. So maybe like just to pick on the idea of a holiday, for example, the couple wants to go away. They could decide in advance who who's going to make the decisions about where we go and who's funding where we're going and in under what circumstances would the decisions, our, our default decisions change. So if they come up with that framework and it could be a little awkward and different at first, but once the framework is in place, then it's easy because they don't have to go through all that emotional stuff when they're making decisions. They have a plan in place that they've agreed to. And hopefully within that policy statement, there is some idea or, or, or some provision that they've thought through of, well, what happens if, if something unexpected comes up? How are we going to deal with that? And essentially it, it, it acts in the same way that a premarital agreement can act for a couple. Premarital agreements, I feel like in, in the world get a very negative view. I love them. I think they're great. They set out policies of what's going to happen during the marriage, who's going to pay for what, how are we going to fund certain things? And of course, it also covers what happens if the marriage doesn't work out. But, but that's that's just part of it. So I really I've always felt like, statements. sorry to interrupt, I've always felt like premarital agreements is a great opportunity to talk about money. If you, if you take the opportunity and really engage in those conversations, as opposed to just focusing on it's about the marriage ending, that there's a real opportunity to engage in a meaningful dialogue that I think a lot of us don't have. It, oh, that's right. You know, and I, it, the, I love the spending policy idea because I think, as I'm sitting here thinking about it, as a couple, you eventually have a spending policy in place. It may not be in writing. Nobody has probably verbalized it if you don't talk about money, but you bet you there are certain patterns that you participate in and over time kind of by default is what happens. And so to actually put it in writing and to be overt about it and to be able to say, hey, this is the policy. This is the part I would add. This is the policy that we're going to have. And every year or if extenuating circumstances happen, we're going to revisit the policy. So it's kind of a working document. You know, one of the things I find couples get caught up in when there's differences is the idea if we agree to something, we have to agree to something, you know, till death do us part. And I'm like, uh, no, you can try it for six months. <laughs> and if it doesn't work, you can then do it differently. That's, that's a very good point, Kathleen. I, I completely agree with you. This is not a one and done situation. This is let's put it down, let's put it into practice, and let's come back to it time and time again to make sure it's still working for us. And if it's not, let's make some adjustments and change it. And I don't think kind of as we're winding down, I don't think you can pick who you fall in love with. Like you may fall in love with someone with a lot of assets. You may fall in love with someone who has less earnings than you. I would hate to think that we couldn't work out these differences and figure it out so we could be with the people that we share values with and we really care about um, regardless of what their financial status is. I like the way you put that, Kathleen. I agree with you. And that's why I think having these important open money conversations, starting with values is so important because if a couple just starts with the money and there's all this emotional and experiential stuff that each of them is bringing to the table that they haven't shared with one another. That's when things can, can go off track. And, and I love the idea of, of avoiding all that. If, if you're truly in love with someone, understand who they are, let them understand who you are and work out financial arrangements that are going to work for each of you 
regardless of who has more assets or earnings than the other. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, money is meaning. So in some ways, having these conversations may start about the money and the values, but it also, what I've found is it really enriches people's lives in other ways that aren't monetary. And, and there's actually research that shows when you talk about money as a couple, it increases intimacy. So isn't that a good thing? Um, I love it, Kathleen. And I'll just share that um, all of what I've been talking with you about today is something that I've observed and learned over the decades of my career. And I always thought like couples counseling was for couples who were in trouble <laughs> and like at, kind of at the end of the relationship. And I've come through all this experience to realize that this is something that, that we're now recommending to clients at the beginning of relationships. Working with a third party like yourself or, or another um, counselor or coach to work on communication skills and develop best practices for each other of how to have these open conversations can go a long way and, and can get you to that really wonderful, satisfying relationship spot that I think everyone would like to be in. Yes, I would definitely agree. It's, it could be, you know, three to six sessions if it's preventative and, and many, many more if you're trying to repair damage, having been on both sides of that spectrum. So time goes so fast. And I just want to ask you, Sandy, before we get information on how to contact you and, and listen to your podcast, do you have one piece of advice you'd like to leave our uh, listeners with today? I think rather than advice, I will leave listeners with one request. And that is to have a money conversation on this day, whenever you're listening to this conversation, have a money conversation with someone that's important to you, whether they're your romantic partner or a family member, or dear friend, but just practice opening up the silence around money. That, that would be my request, because I think that that will have really positive ripples over time in your life. Love it. Love it. So tell people where they can find out more about you, the types of clients that you might be looking for, and um, also about your podcast, because I love your podcast. So everybody needs to know about that. And we will put the links in the show notes. Uh, thanks, Kathleen. So um, the best way to reach me is through the Asperian website. It's just Asperian.com. You can start a dialogue with us, or you could also reach out to me through LinkedIn. At Asperian, we work with family business owners, corporate executives, entrepreneurs, people with a lot of wealth and complexity who can benefit from our services. But if you're looking for an advisor and aren't sure if we're a good fit or not, please reach out. I'm happy to help find an advisor who's best for you, whether they're at Experient or not. And um, Money Tales is available on all major podcast platforms and also on Asperient.com slash Money Tales. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sandy, for breaking money silence with me and talking about this very interesting topic of fiscal diversity. Thank you, Kathleen. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave a review. Also, share this episode with your friends and family. It is a great way to get the conversation started. For more money talk tips and information, or to hire Kathleen to speak at your next event, go to www.breakingmoneysilence.com.